Embattled Congressman Duncan Hunter has decided to plead guilty in the ongoing campaign finance scandal, and he will soon step down from Congress. Hunter will appear in court Tuesday morning and will admit guilt in one of the 60 criminal charges against him. He and his wife, Margaret, were accused of spending at nearly a quarter million dollars of campaign finance funds on personal expenses, ranging from private school tuition to video games. For the San Diego Union Tribune, I'm Daniel Wheaton, and this is your San Diego News Fix. It's been almost four years since the UT Watchdog first reported some questionable spending of Congressman Duggan Hunter, and things have finally changed. So we have two reporters who have been working on this story since then, Morgan Cook and Jeff McDonald. Morgan, what's the news? The news today is that Representative Duncan Hunter has announced that he will be pleading guilty to um, a crime in this sweeping campaign finance investigation that resulted in a 60-count indictment against himself and his wife in 2018. So what do we know this far? Because there's still questions out there, right? Right. We don't know um, what exactly his plans are. Um, He has indicated that he will be leaving office, but we don't know the timeline for that or, you know, when he will withdraw from the campaign or uh, or those things. Mm-hmm. And this has been a story that the UT has been covering for a long time, and there have been many episodes along the way. Jeff, why don't you kind of start by giving us a little bit of a walkthrough of this journey we've been on with Duncan Hunter. Well, Morgan Cook uh, was studying the uh, campaign filings from the congressman and noticed some unusual spending. That was in the spring of 2015? 2016. 2016. Okay, yeah, four years uh, coming up, almost four years. Uh, And then uh, when she confronted the congressman through his staff, she got some pushback and denials. And after some months, he agreed to rebate some money because it may have been improperly expended. Uh, then some months later, I think he uh, rebated another chunk of money totaling, say, $60,000, uh, I think hoping that it would all just go away. Uh, at some point, the uh, the FEC put aside its investigation or, or no, Congress, uh, the Ethics uh, Committee put aside its investigation in favor of an FBI probe, which, of course, is a lot more serious and resulted after uh, – maybe almost two years of investigations in the indictment that uh, mm-hmm. that was unleashed uh, on, 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 uh, in the indictment that was issued um, 15, 16 months ago, uh, 60 criminal counts. Mm-hmm. And uh, Morgan, so with that timeline, at what point did the FEC kind of step in and start this investigation? Because it seems like the reporting happened maybe, I don't know, several years into a period of misspending in, in which things were finally flagged, right? Right. Um, when we went back and had a look at earlier filings, so, you know, we got this letter from the Federal Election Commission that they sent to uh, Duncan Hunter's campaign saying, hey, we see that you have all these charges for video games and payment to your children's private school, and we would like some more information about that because, as you know, personal use of campaign money is illegal. And so we, you know, we checked it out. We reported about, you know, those questions and things. Uh, and then we just started looking back a ways to make sure that it was an isolated incident and mm-hmm. it wasn't, you know, part of a larger pattern. Uh, but what we saw was really indicative of a larger pattern. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, you know, it had been going on for a while. And according to the indictment, it had been going on for years, several years, mm-hmm. uh, by the time we 
caught wind of it and started doing our work on it. And also legally, now that this deal is in the works and we'll know more about it pretty soon, what's likely to happen to Duncan Hunter? What are the kind of you know penalties the person faces after misspending campaign finance funds? You can face uh, many different penalties, different kinds of penalties. Uh, there can be fines involved. There can be repayment of money if they believe that it was stolen. Um, and then there can be certainly prison and probation mm-hmm. and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's been interesting because in the past six months, Margaret Hunter has, she chose to plead guilty before him, which is kind of an interesting piece of drama in this case. Quite. And she also agreed to testify against him and cooperate with prosecutors. Uh, So, you know, she pleaded guilty to one count of conspiracy, uh, and her sole co-conspirator was her husband in Mm -hmm. that uh, plea agreement. So, Mm -hmm. And so, Jeff, tomorrow, will this all kind of be resolved or this continue on? What's kind of the forecast for this uh, Hunter saga? Nothing's going to be resolved tomorrow. Probably what will happen is he'll enter a plea to one, maybe two criminal counts, and they'll schedule a sentencing date and a date for him to go be interviewed by federal uh, probationary officials, which will help determine what kind of sentence he might receive. It's notable that this behavior continued for years. Mm -hmm. After he was put on notice by the FEC that this spending was questionable, he just kept spending uh, campaign money on, on apparently personal expenses. Uh, and we, Morgan, dutifully reported, you know, a couple times a year when you have to submit these filings and said, oh, he's at the cigar lounge. Oh, he's at the hotel. Oh, he's at the resort. Mm-hmm. Uh, his answer was they were all uh, legislative acts and uh, permitted under the uh, campaign spending rules. But uh, I guess the federal authorities didn't believe that. Yeah. I remember after one of those stories, uh, a group of D.C. people went on a bar crawl of all the places that Hunter went, which... Uh, kind of shows where we are politically, I guess. <laughs> yeah, we heard about that bar crawl. As yeah. I recall, you may have created a map. Uh, I think that was Lauren, but <laughs> I have created several maps and graphics for this saga. So I guess for both of you, what is one part of this long story that really sticks out to you and kind of is indicative of things gone wrong? Because it's clear this spending shouldn't have happened, and it's clear that the fact that the system took this long to come to this kind of conclusion, if it even is a conclusion, it shows you know maybe the system isn't working. What sticks out to you? I think I'm most gratified that Morgan has been vindicated. The amount of pushback she got personally from this member of Congress was inexcusable. And the denials and the fake news arguments that he put forward were um, nothing short of despicable. And uh, I think it's, uh, it's nice that, uh, that the system does work. Uh, it, it, it's amazing how much of this is legal as long as you disclose it uh, or at least do a better job of hiding it. Uh, he didn't do any of that. Uh, instead, he took the position that we were simply out to get him and asking unfair questions. Right. And, you know, because we don't have subpoena power, we don't have a way to get at the receipts. We don't have a great way to know what is going on. And so, you know, when you have people pushing back and saying, look, there's a plausible explanation for this. There's nothing to see here. Why are you continuing to kind of beat on me uh, when you don't really know what's going on? And we're telling you that it's not, you know, there's nothing criminal here. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think 
that an important thing for us to remember is that you're not supposed to even have it allow it to look like there might be a crime there. You're not supposed to allow the appearance of impropriety because it damages the public trust. It makes it so if we don't trust each other, if we think each other are scumbags, who wants to work with a scumbag? Nobody. So we can't cooperate together. Mm -hmm. And so for my part, if I see something that looks like a possible violation of the public trust, regardless of whether there's a crime, that's that's something that we have to call out. Mm -hmm. And it's also worth noting that Connor has not been on a committee for almost two years, I believe. So in a sense, like those in the 50th district haven't really had a full congressman for quite some time because of the scandal. Right. He hasn't been able to um, do a large part of the work that people in Congress do. Mm-hmm. But he's, he has been able to do other things. And, you know, he's been involved in helping uh, warriors who mm-hmm. have gotten into legal trouble. Yes, with the Gallagher case. Mm-hmm. I just think it's a pretty stunning end to a political dynasty out there in East County that's, has, uh, that's been in uh, power for decades. Mm-hmm. So uh, this is uh, certainly not something welcomed by the senior hunter. Uh, and it's an unfortunate end, but uh, you, you get what you sow, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But it also opens up an interesting future for the 50th District, so we'll get to see what's next. Certainly. And just in a few moments, we'll have Michael Smolens discussing the politics of this ongoing story. Morgan Cook, Jeff McDonald, thank you both so much. Thanks, thank you. Michael Smolens, the political columnist for the Union Tribune. And the 50th District of California has been interesting as it has been embroiled in scandal with the Hunter case. So can you give us a background politically on the 50th? What is it usually like? Well, it's a it's a very conservative district. Uh, it, it's one of the most Republican districts in the entire state, uh, comprised of East County and stretches up into North County uh, up to, to Temecula. Uh, it's been represented by A. Duncan Hunter for nearly 40 years. Uh, the mm-hmm. current congressman uh, has been there for 11 years. Uh, Duncan D. Hunter, his father, Duncan L. Hunter, held the seat uh, since 1981. So they're very ingrained in the community, in the politics. Uh, it's been, like I said, a dynasty, and I've said that before. Re-election of uh, Hunter was no problem. In fact, the, the, it was not entirely a joke. Some people thought that they were voting for the elder Hunter when they mm-hmm. were voting for his son when he uh, decided to, to step down and basically hand off the seat to his son. That all changed, of course, as we know, last year uh, with the increasing investi- criminal investigation to, into the misuse of campaign funds and then the indictment. Uh, Hunter did uh, not great, but he, he did outdistance everybody in the primary. But mm-hmm. Amar Kampanajar, uh, the leading Democrat, faced him in November and almost beat him, which it, it would be unheard of under any normal circumstances in that district. It was a, a few points. So that brings us up to where we are now. Uh, before the news about Duncan Hunter, he was still planning on running for re-election, but mm-hmm. this time, unlike last time, some some big-name Republicans have gotten in the race. Yeah, and who are the Republicans that are looking to take this seat that will likely be vacated soon? Well, like I said, some, some big names. Uh, Daryl Issa, for one, former congressman who represented the 49th District up uh, in North County and that uh, stretches into Southern Orange County. He had an earlier version of that district. You know, they reshape them every 10 years, according to the census. Actually, 
uh, actually covered part of the what is now Duncan Hunter's district. So he's represented part of that before. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other big name is uh, Carl DeMaio, former San Diego City Council member, popular radio show host. Uh, he's gotten involved with statewide issues, a uh, good political mind, a uh, good policy mind, very aggressive. Um, and he's been raising fund a lot of money, I, I should say, in, in that uh, sense that Daryl Issa has very deep pockets. He's a very he's was one of the richest members in Congress when he mm-hmm. was there, so he can self-fund his campaign, though he was a good fundraiser as well. And then um, there's Amar Kampanajar, as I said, the, the leading Democrat. Uh, he's almost certain to make the November election. It's unlikely that two Republicans would do because he did so well the last time around, and he'll get almost all the Democratic votes. And then Brian Jones, a state senator, uh, isn't as well-known as the other ones on the national scale, but he's very well-known in East County and uh, has tight ties with a lot of community groups, particularly religious groups. Mm-hmm. But he, he did not poll well early on, so we'll have to see how that goes. But those are the major candidates. And then there's a couple uh, really unknown independent candidates. Mm-hmm. So at this point, are there any kind of plans or kind of statements expecting to come out from these candidates now that this race has changed? Well, it's interesting because they really dealt very delicately with the Duncan Hunter situation. Uh, there was Rarely there were harsh words, harsh attacks from the Republicans anyway mm-hmm. on Duncan Hunter uh, for a number of reasons. One, like I said, the, it's hard to overstate, or I'm sorry, uh, yes, to overstate the Hunter brand in East County. Uh, they were a very well-liked family, popular uh, until now uh, in terms of uh, politically. Uh, so in, in the poll we did back in October, uh, Duncan Hunter only drew 11%, but given how spread out things are, clearly people don't want to offend any of his dwindling supporters. So the statements that have come out today were, uh, you know, he's doing the right thing. He did, you mm-hmm. know, we appreciate his service and stuff like that. There wasn't the, the good riddance aspect from, you know, the Democratic uh, National you know, Campaign Committee. They, they kind of lowered the boom on him. Yeah, it does seem like the entire Republican strategy was just kind of don't say anything about the, the Hunter scandal because it's you really can't win when he points there, in a sense. Right. Well, and uh, Daryl Issa, he has known Duncan Hunter. He served with him in Congress for a long time. He served with his father. Uh, and he said he spoke with both of them when he decided to get in. And he said, you know, I've got no problems with his votes or anything else, but we just can't let the district go to a Republican. And in his view, and I think it was the prevailing view, that there's just no way Duncan Hunter was going to win. And it really seemed like Duncan Hunter was the only candidate that Amar Kampanajar might be able to beat. I don't think most people think that uh, a Republican of the status that we're talking about here uh, will probably be the favored going into to November should they mm-hmm. get out of the primary. Yeah, November's certainly interesting because you'll have a Democratic challenger to President Donald Trump, and that will certainly energize the left. So in a sense, Republicans may be more worried than they probably would be normally in this race. True. I think that with the, the Hunter uh, dynamic taken out, that makes things... I mean, it, it's odd. He's expected to step down, and, and while they, they will you know, technically lose a congressman, I think that the, the Republicans are in better shape in that district because mm-hmm. of that in, in the long run. Yes, there'll be big Democratic turnout, particularly in the primary, because there's not a contested Republican primary. So that won't, that won't it'll be interesting what kind of dynamic that has on... The Republican race, mm-hmm. uh, we know Kampen unless something weird happens, will advance. But while there's going to be a big Democratic turnout, you'll see a good Republican turnout, and that is Trump country. Mm-hmm. Uh, he won it by 15 points in 2016, that district. So uh, that's going to really be a boon to the Republicans. Mm-hmm. And during the last race, uh, Hunter took a lot of heat for um, what many said was a racist attacks on Amar Kampen 
Do you expect this race to be a little cleaner than the last one? I, I think it's hard to say. Yeah. Uh, he was fighting desperately, and yes, he was trying to tie Amar Kampanajar to terrorism and terrorists, and uh, the, 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 the ad campaign was widely uh, you know, uh, criticized and, mm-hmm. and, and fact-checked as being just untrue. Yeah, and for the record, he did have a terrorist grandfather that he never met, but yeah. it's a crazy story that you really yeah, can't I mean, pin he, this, a, a person. This, this person, uh, you know, whatever he actually did, he died before Kampanajar was born. Uh, and Kampanajar was born here in the United States, and he was a Middle Easterner. Uh, so yes, there, there was that, that aspect. Uh, would they go down that path? Who can say? Mm-hmm. I would doubt it. Uh, but if perhaps they need to, who knows what kind of attacks they will do. But I think that their plan is that, that to, to paint him as a, a liberal and a, a socialist, even mm-hmm. though Kampanajar is not as uh, liberal as some other Democrats. He's got some more moderate positions in health care and so forth. Mm-hmm. All right. So now, after looking at all the work the UT has done in bringing to light this very complicated campaign finance story, what parts really stick out to you as key political moments that kind of changed the game? When looking at this whole thing, what kind of comes to your forefront in your mind? Well, like I said, it's just what is interesting is that Last year was a big Democratic year. They flipped seven seats in the House in California. They took over the House of Representatives. This was not a district the Republicans should have had to worry about. They Mm -hmm. did last year, and and Duncan Hunter barely held on. It's not a district they should have had to worry about this year. And uh, I don't want to overstate things, but they probably won't now with him out of the race. Mm -hmm. Uh, Anything can happen, and it could be a big Democratic surge. But you'll see, I'm sure, adequate efforts to hang on to the district, but the Republicans are going to go after those seven districts, other districts that flipped. So that mm-hmm. was sort of the irony that this really had nothing to do with the Trump effect, which really had a lot to do with those seven districts flipping. Mm-hmm. This is all because of the scandal of Duncan Hunter. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's the whole thing like with the Katie Hill scandal up in, in L.A. It's, it's interesting how these these local political stories are having larger political ramifications for the whole narrative of the nation right now. Right. And I think we're at the point where we thought we were going to be that that Duncan Hunter, his days seem numbered. He mm-hmm. barely hung on last year. It, his legal situation looked it did not look good at all. And even if he went in through the primary, it seemed pretty clear that he wasn't going to be one of the people to move on from November. So, uh, like I said, that'll be the first time in a long time that there won't be a Duncan Hunter in Congress from San Diego County. Mm-hmm. All right. Michael Smolens, thank you so much. Thank you. In other courts news, a man who fatally shot another man during a 2015 robbery and shot at police during his arrest has been sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. A San Diego jury convicted 24-year-old Ahmed Moomin of nearly a dozen felonies stemming from the April 16, 2015 killing of 48-year-old Eric Shade at an Arco AM-PM store on Balboa Avenue including murder and attempted murder of a peace officer. Thanks for listening to the San Diego News Fix, which goes live weekdays at 5 p.m. If you also like your news in your email inbox, we've got you covered. You can sign up for breaking news, top headlines, business, sports, entertainment, watchdog, caregiving, and more. We've also got Boletines en Español, plus emails from Pacific Magazine and a host of community newspapers. Just go to unionship.com newsletters. Until next time.